I'm sure everyone listening also can know the fruits and the joy of having your own business and the freedom and flexibility that comes along with that. So I just salute all the listeners who are on that journey and chose to take the harder path to do something that felt more true to themselves. Hello, listeners, and welcome to season four of SOS with Sonia Rasula. I'm flipping the script this season, and instead of advising business owners, I've gathered a badass group of industry experts to help you thrive. You'll hear from a Forbes editor on how to pitch the press. A finance guru will help you attack all things money. We'll help you future-proof your business by becoming a digital dynamo. My lawyer will teach us all how to stay out of trouble. You'll learn how to write emails that result in instant sales, and we'll have a real talk conversation about reels. So get ready to take notes because this season is all about the experts. Today's guest is Grant Atkinson, the founder of Framework Law Group and the most unlawyery lawyer you will ever meet. And newsflash, he's also my lawyer, so you know we'll be spilling all the tea. Grant specializes in helping entrepreneurs and creatives with their legal needs, and of course, he is an entrepreneur himself. In this episode, Grant shares some seriously vital information about all those legal matters your small business needs to address but that you probably avoided or put off. From S-Corps to LLCs, trademarking to design protection will cover it all. First, I want to thank our longtime sponsor, Constant Contact, for making this season possible. Constant Contact is a digital marketing platform that helps small businesses and nonprofits of all sizes build, grow, and succeed. With email marketing, contact management, industry-leading list growth tools, social media ads, and more, Constant Contact helps small businesses connect with customers, find new ones, and sell online. All from one easy-to-use platform. To get 30% off your first three months, visit constantcontact.com slash SOS. That's constantcontact.com slash SOS. O-S. Now, let's dive into the episode. Welcome, Grant. <laughs> Hi, Sonia. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. Um, hanging out up in Wrightwood, a bit out of LA, looking out at some fresh snow up here in the mountains. Oh, that sounds amazing. Well, we're excited to have this episode with you. You are my lawyer. But on a personal level, I just absolutely love what you do, your energy, your positive attitude. So I'm excited to have you on the episode. You are the most unlawyer-like lawyer that I know. I hear that a lot. <laughs> so if you can introduce yourself and share a little bit about your business to our audience, that would be great. Yeah, totally. So a bit of background about me and my entrepreneur story, which totally involves you, Sonia. Growing up, I was always focused on the arts. It was acting and theater and music. And in high school, I was in a punk band on my way off to film school in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And when I got to film school, I was surrounded by a ton of other super cool artists who were working on their acting careers, music careers. While I was there, my, my interest expanded a bit. And I thought, you know, I like art, but maybe that's something that I can do just for the love of it and career-wise, I can expand into something else. And I thought, 
it would be great to support my creative peers as their attorney. So I shifted gears and I applied to law schools up and down California. And I ended up going to law school at Santa Clara University. And when I graduated, I set out to find that kind of dream creative job where I could help out my creative peers with their legal. But there really wasn't a job out there like that at all that I could find. So I kind of took what I could get, which ended up with me at a stuffy curmudgeon dinosaur law firm in downtown helping old men sue other old men. (laughs) And that was like totally not in line with why I became an attorney. So I stuck with that as long as I could, got some experience, but eventually my the entrepreneur in me started buzzing and I was just dreaming what my dream law firm would look like. And it would certainly be something more human, more peer-to-peer, not condescending people, not taking every dollar they have just to give them some practical advice. So that became Framework Law Group. And I threw up a, a DIY Squarespace website. I printed out uh, some business cards and I started going around anywhere and everywhere where I could find artists to connect with. And now it's been eight years and I've had the privilege to work with graphic designers and food makers and apparel companies and wellness coaches and hundreds of other awesome, cool, creative peers. That's my entrepreneur story, how I started off as an artist and became a lawyer for creatives. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, connecting with creatives and connecting with community members was super important for you to kind of spread the word and probably gain a community and then therefore gain clients. Mm -hmm. You now, as you mentioned, have worked with hundreds and hundreds of clients. And I'm curious if you have any, like, and again, maybe this is a legal thing, so you can't actually tell me, but like, do you have any businesses that you can use as examples of clients or can you not do that? There are, yeah, there's certainly some (laughs) clients that are happy to be featured. If you look at our Instagram at Framework Law Group, we love to highlight our clients. Okay, perfect. Sonia, you are a client. Um, Some other clients people might have heard of would include Lacey Phillips with To Be Magnetic, uh, Jordan Younger of Balanced Blonde. We've helped out Dyline and a number of other cool, awesome, and creative. So if you check out our Instagram at Framework Law Group, you can see some of the types of creative peers that we work with. Perfect. Yeah, because I want everyone who's listening to understand that, you know, Grant represents people who are definitely making millions and and moving the needle, but also works with people who are just starting and might need help with just that, like that one thing, like I want to learn how to trademark this, you know, so it's it's all over the board. Yeah, I think one of the successes I've had with this business is a lot of lawyers put up a lot of walls and I totally get why because they don't want to waste their time connecting with tiny little things that aren't going to generate a lot of revenue. But I am genuinely out here to help peers. So pretty much anyone who calls me needs help. At the very least, we're going to have a call and chat through what they need to do and I can point them in the right direction. And if they need help with a tiny project, I say, okay, I don't require like vast minimum things just to get started. So that has certainly helped along the way to bring a huge network of people into our community. I've called you so many times (laughs) and you've always taken my call, which is so amazing. Okay. So let's really dive into this giant scary topic of legalese. I think probably a lot of the listeners have not thought a lot about anything legal. You know, we're just running, running, running. When I first started my company, 
I did not pay my taxes for many years, not because I didn't want to. I fully believe in paying taxes. I'm Canadian. Um, It was more like I didn't have the time because I was like in those first few years of like hustle, hustle, hustle. And so it was like one of those things always in the back of my head. And it wasn't until years later that I was also like, oh, I don't even know if I registered my business properly. So Mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you think small business owners should be thinking about? Yeah, definitely. So I totally get that when you're trying to build your product or your service and build in sales funnels and all that other stuff that goes into running a business, getting your legal together just seems like the last thing that you want to deal with and maybe overwhelming and scary and expensive. But really getting your legal together can be done in three basic steps. So we can walk through what those three steps are. Love it. (laughs) So the first step is to pick and register the right business entity. So when you're an entrepreneur, there are a number of different ways that you can operate your business. Maybe the easiest way to operate is to just be a sole proprietor, meaning that it's you as an individual running your business. And all that you need to do to legally operate that way is to have a few basic licenses and permits, like probably a business license with the city, maybe a seller's permit if you are selling physical goods. And if you're running your business under a name that's different than your name as an individual, uh, like different than your personal name, then you would need a DBA because you are doing business as a different name. So that can be a super easy way just to kind of like Test the waters of entrepreneurship, get those few basic licenses and permits. They really don't cost much at all to get registered generally. And the downsides, however, to just operating as a sole proprietor are as a sole proprietor, you're running a business out of your own personal castle. And I Mm -hmm. use the castle example just so you can visualize it. Absolutely. (laughs) And when you're running the business out of your personal castle, if something goes wrong, like your candle lights someone's house on fire or you breach a contract, or something bad happens with the business, which totally can happen from time to time, the damages are your personal damages. So when they're coming after, trying to collect money, they're coming after your personal castle, and your house, your car, your bank accounts, all of that can potentially be at risk. Mm -hmm. So a lot of entrepreneurs instead set up a separate castle to run the business out of. And that can be an LLC or a corporation. And that way, if there are any debts or damages, They are going after that separate castle entity, not that person as an individual. So setting up a different entity can be a great way to help limit your personal liability when you are running the business. And there can be some other benefits to setting up a separate business entity, like you might be able to save money on taxes by making certain tax elections with that separate entity that's not available as a sole proprietor. Let me ask you this, Grant. Follow-up question. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. I used to be an LLC and I thought, like, I remember when I officially registered for that and I thought I was like professional and I was like such hot stuff and like I was so proud of myself. And then (laughs) a few years later, my accountant was like, you should definitely be an S Corp. Like, why did you choose LLC? And the answer is embarrassing. And yet I'm sure this is what so many entrepreneurs do and small business owners who like start a business and aren't really sure if it's actually going to take off or not. I heard, I think, a commercial probably on the radio for LegalZoom. 
<laughs> like that's why I did the LLC. It wasn't because I actually knew the difference between an LLC or an S corp or anything like that. I just went for like the option that was shoved in my face. But the difference, I just want to clear this up for everyone listening. So the difference between an LLC and S corp, isn't it similar in that with an LLC, they can potentially still come after the castle or no? Am I wrong? So with both an LLC and an S corporation, you are setting up a separate castle. So with both of those entities, you have limited liability protection. Often an S corporation can help save money on taxes in ways that an LLC can't if an accountant recommends that you make that election. However, both an LLC and an S-corporation can be taxed as an S-corp. So I would say one of the most common entities that we deal with for creatives is an LLC taxed as an S-corp. We like LLCs because they're easy to set up, they're easy to maintain, they're very flexible if you want to add business partners or investors um, with different rights and control over the company. So they're very fluid. They're the most modern entity out there. So we like them for all of those reasons. And if the accountant wants that S-corp election, then that can still be done with the LLC. Sometimes an accountant just really wants you to be a traditional S-corporation for whatever reason. And if that's the case and they otherwise qualify, then that could be fine. Um, if a company is more like a startup looking to raise venture capital, then they might want to be a C-corporation based out of Delaware just because that's kind of like the classic vehicle that startups use to raise venture capital. But for a small business with just like one or two owners, an LLC or an S-corp or an LLC taxed as an S-corp is a very common route to go, but always a conversation to have with a lawyer and an accountant just to confirm. So you went over the basic permits and licenses, you know, like get the business license from the city. Is there anything else in just terms of like, you've got the idea, you've started selling on Squarespace, let's say, just like you did. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you would recommend people do? Or is it, you know, the business license and the seller's permit, those are kind of like the starting, that's your minimum? Yeah, so the bare minimum, if you're a sole proprietor, in almost every city, you need a business license, like you certainly need one in LA, and then you need a seller's permit if you're selling goods. And if you wanted to take that extra step to set up that separate castle entity, you would still need those same licenses and permits. They would just be in the name of that entity. So that's kind of step one, to pick and register the right business entity, whether that's the bare bones or something a little bit more spruced up. And then from there, the second step is to identify and secure your intellectual property. Mm -hmm. Creatives often have things like trademarks, Trademarks help protect your brand identity. So that would include things like your business name, your logo, slogans, unique product names. Sonia, I know you have a few trademarks out there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So that can help lock down exclusive rights to a name. And I certainly see instances where a business drags on registering a trademark and then maybe some other business comes out using the exact same name. And now that first business doesn't have officially registered documentation of their rights to the trademark, and they can get into a dispute where there's argument over who has priority to a name. And that can certainly be a setback for a business. Sometimes it leads into having to rebrand or change the name of a business, which can certainly be a bigger setback the farther along you go. So with picking a business name, I would recommend, if you haven't picked one yet, make sure you vet it 
in advance to make sure that it is going to be available for trademarking, that it has all the right, you know, Instagram handles, domains, whatever you need there, but that it's not going to cause you problems in the future. And if you're already using a name that you're married to, now is as good of a time as ever just to double check and make sure that name is clean. And if you were to try to do a DIY search, a few places you could look is one, you could just check on Google to see if there's any other businesses out there using the same name in connection with similar goods and services. If they're doing a totally different business under the same name, it's probably not a conflict. Another place you can check is the USPTO.gov, where you can actually see every trademark that's been applied for or registered out there and kind of click through and see what's in there. Ultimately, I do recommend getting some legal opinion about whether or not there's a conflict just because it is a bit of a nuanced assessment. But bottom line is, I recommend vetting your business name no matter what stage you're at and then probably securing it to make sure you don't run into issues with that in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I will share with everyone right now two little gems that Grant has helped me personally through. So one is that as part of the unique markets seller process, once we accept a seller into unique markets to sell their products at the markets, we hold this seminar called Unique University. We've been doing it for 13 years now. And it occurred to me about a year and a half ago, I think, that I should probably trademark it because what if we were to, you know, have merch around it? What if we started to, you know, record courses and put them online? So I contacted Grant and the trademark search that his team gave back to us was so interesting to me and so eye-opening because essentially they're looking for all the different things that could be associated with the term unique university. And there were lots. That was kind of shocking to me. Yeah, there's definitely lots of stuff out there to consider. And it's a matter of looking at the content of the two trademarks. Um, like, you know, you have unique university, but if someone else had unique academy, that could still potentially be a conflict if they're both in, in connection with educational services. So mm -hmm. we're looking at like, what is the substantive portion of the trademark are they using it in connection with the same goods and services as you? And if both of those are true, it could potentially be a conflict if they were also using it first. Right. So there's a number of factors to look at to determine whether or not there is an actual conflict. And then you can kind of strategize like we were talking about how best we might be able to get something through. Right. And then the second kind of side of the coin to that is I did, with through your help, register Unique Markets years ago. And because of the work that you did making sure to cover my brand, earlier this year when someone essentially was copying everything that we've done and trying to make it seem like she or he was part of Unique Markets, holding Unique Markets in their town, you were so easily then able to make sure that they stopped doing that. <laughs> Yes, when someone is infringing on your brand and you have a registered trademark and we send that demand letter, I would say nine times out of 10, they stop immediately and are apologetic and come you know, running off to the hills right. away from what they were doing. So having that registration gives you a much stronger sword to go stop unauthorized uses like that. Right. And I, I just think like a reminder to everyone listening, because most people listening probably are product designers or they sell products, which of course is... That's a little harder, but the idea of taking the time and spending the money to protect yourself 
for the future is hard for some small businesses to swallow because they're like, well, I don't know if anything's ever going to happen. But when it does, you're ready. Whereas you mentioned before, there are so many people that name a business and then years later have to change their name because they never took the time to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely an unfortunate thing to have happen. So early and often, good to make sure you vet that trademark and get it registered and protected. Now, I would... I would love to dive into contracts because I know that this is something that a lot of small business owners struggle with. Like they start to, let's say, bring on help and bring on employees and suddenly they're not just by themselves and they're like, oh shoot, I need probably an NDA. I think I'm going to hire someone. How do I do that? What's the legal contract for that? And so what do you think some of the necessary paperwork that small business owners need? Like what are some of those documents? And then can you also talk about your course? Because I think this could potentially help a lot of listeners. Yeah, definitely. Happy to chat through all that. I would say contracts is certainly a blind spot for a lot of creatives, or they might try to throw something together off the internet and splice some things together. And contracts is an area where I see the most conflicts come up from either not having a contract or not having a contract that covers the right information. But it really does not have to be that complicated. For a lot of businesses, there are some pretty routine type forms that can be used that cover the bases that a creative business needs. So for example, if you are a service-based company, like you're providing consulting services or design services, then you should have a client service agreement that outlines your services and rates who's going to own the intellectual property, limitations on your liability, things like that. Um, so there's plenty of great templates out there that can be used by creatives for that type of purpose. Um, or alternatively, if you are hiring workers and you need to work with contractors or employees, then there are some great forms for that that outline their services and how you will own their intellectual property and limitations on your liability working with them. If you operate a website and you sell goods or services off of that website, then your contract with the customers who visit the website is your terms of use and privacy policy on that site. And again, that's going to outline how you engage with those customers, all the terms regarding your sale of products or services, and other protections for you in there. Mm -hmm. So these are all forms that like can totally be very custom and unique depending on the nature of the business. But at the base level, they generally all include a certain set of terms. So Sonia, you referenced my course and yes. yeah, after so yeah, after eight years of running framework law group and helping creatives get their legal together every day, you know, on the one hand, we do a ton of nuanced work with all the crazy stuff that happens in entrepreneurship every day. But then also a lot of what we do is helping with those three basic steps we just talked about. Picking and registering the right business entity, securing intellectual property, getting contracts together. Yeah. So I put together a legal kit e-course that goes through all three of those steps with enough detail to help creatives get their legal together, at least have a good starting point before they go and talk to a lawyer so they can maybe save some extra phone calls or save some steps along the way. And that includes a bunch of contract templates, just like the ones that I just walked through. And each of those includes a video walking through what's all in there and some customization options. Amazing. There's examples of government forms. 
Um, so like, what does it look like to file a DBA or to file a business license? So it walks through all things like that. And in the new year, I'm going to break out the legal kit also into kind of an itemized market. So there won't just be the one main legal kit. There'll also be itemized products based on whatever the specifics a creative might need are. And all of that's just kind of a good base educational starting point. And of course, we're also here to help creatives with whatever specific questions they might have along the way. I've seen the legal kit and I just think it's so smart (laughs) and very affordable for someone to just be like, let me use this, you know, check off all the boxes, make sure that I've thought about everything and remind myself things that I should be doing. How can everyone find you? What's your website, your Instagram, all of that good stuff? Yeah. So to visit our law firm website, you can just go to frameworklaw.com. And then the legal kit is at frameworklegalkit.com. And our Instagram handle is frameworklawgroup. Amazing. Is there any last tip that you want to give? Is there something that you want to leave us with? I just salute every entrepreneur on the journey. It's There's so many ups and downs. There's so many like dark days and then bright victories. And it it doesn't end. I mean, as you know, Sonia, like the entrepreneurship journey just keeps going. There's new ideas, new mm-hmm. obstacles, new directions. So I'm sure everyone listening also can know the fruits and the joy of having your own business and the freedom and flexibility that comes along with that. So I just salute all the listeners who are on that journey and chose to take the harder path to do something that felt more true to themselves. Oh, I love that. Today's top takeaways are, number one, pick the right business entity for your business. Just because you hear phrases like LLC thrown around a lot doesn't mean that that entity is right for your business. Do your research. Number two, what licenses and permits do you need? In the city of LA, for instance, anyone who makes money doing something, whether that's selling clothes, working as a social media consultant, or DJing, is considered a business and needs to register with the city. Again, do your research now instead of being hit with something later. Number three, it is so important to protect your business. For trademarking, for instance, look into what may apply to what you do, how you do it, and even protecting your logo. And number four, Make sure your business name is available and cleared. USPTO.gov will let you know what's in the database. And I would advise to consider or reconsider if you already named your business to make sure that the social handles and URL are all the same because consistency counts. If SOS has helped your business, I would love to hear from you. The best thing that you can do to help spread the word about this podcast is give us a five, once again, that's five star rating, and remember to leave a review. Honestly, that's probably the best way that more people will discover this great podcast. Follow me on Instagram at Sonia Rasula, that's S-O-N-J-A-R-A-S-U-L-A, and you can follow my business at Unique Markets. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe. And if you're listening to us on Spotify, make sure to follow. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening.